You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. So, all right, I have a question for you. What has been a recent big change you've gone through? Um, not really recent, but starting starting my business was a very big change. How did you feel as you were going through that change? Um, I would say before I decided to do it, I kind of knew that I should do it for a long time before I actually did it. You know, so I was looking for like this clear sign that mm-hmm. it was the right choice and that there wouldn't be any consequences and that it would be better. And I had to realize that that wasn't going to come you know, and the fact that I was continuing to deliberate it was actually a sign that I should do it. What do you mean? Um, you know, I kept wanting to do it. Oh, it it wasn't going away. Yeah, and then yeah. being hesitant, right? Is right. it would be easy to ignore it if you know, hey, a couple months later, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while. Well, you know, it's natural to have some hesitancy on a big change. If if a change doesn't give you pause, it's probably not a significant change anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, you know, well, I mean, I don't know if you're, you're starting a business, um, and you're, you have no hesitancy at all. Maybe, if you have, I don't tap, know, maybe, you're, yeah, maybe you're not, a, yeah. you don't assess risk very well. <laughs> Probably not. But so I, I'd say that was a big change. And then I felt during the change, um, you know, I didn't ever second guess it once I, well, no, I take that back. There were probably a couple of times very early. Yeah. Very early. Probably right? natural. Yeah, very early. I definitely go through, go through a range of emotions during change. I definitely thought more than once very early on, hey, you know, it would have been better. You know, I was making money. <laughs> I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Things were good. Things weren't that bad before. Um, right. Right. You start reflecting on all the reasons why you shouldn't make the change. Yeah. And I think change making, is difficult sometimes. Making a big change like that was when I, I then, then I had to realize like, all of the other changes that were happening. So it's not just start a business, like literally everything about my lifestyle um, changed from where I work to when I work to how I work to what I work on, you know, it was all different. Um, I don't know. What about you? It's, what's a big change? Uh, I was I was going to go through and give you a list of other things you should change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got any ideas for me? <laughs> um, well, our guest today is an expert on change. Cassandra Worthy is a world-renowned thought leader on change, specializing in building organizational resilience and adaptability. With a unique strategy called Change Enthusiasm, Cassandra empowers leaders globally to embrace and accelerate change and transformation journeys. Her impressive client base includes Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble, Allstate, WeWork. She's got over a decade of experience in mergers and acquisitions, Cassandra not only shares her expertise in change enthusiasm, but also provides critical leadership insights for navigating high-stress times of change and transformation. Her voice inspires organizations, C-suite executives, and business associations to embrace change and become self-actualized in working toward their change vision. We talked about wonderful topics, the reasons we fear change and what to do about it, the three steps to change enthusiasm what to do when you or your employees face resistance to change and the specific methods of practicing empathy in your business to create a culture of embracing change. 
It was a great episode. Cassandra is um, exactly what she claims to be. She's enthusiastic. Very comfortable with change and very enthusiastic. So we had a lighthearted episode. We shared some laughs. We learned some things. Stick around. You will do all of that too. My name is Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Cassandra, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so you're a change expert. And my immediate thought in hearing change expert is it's got to be hard to stick with that for a long time. <laughs> ready to make a change? <laughs> what are you going to do next week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm telling you, being in the evergreen space of change, there's never a dull moment. Uh, and so the go. nature of my <laughs> work is I'm, I'm always doing something different, you know? Yeah. How did you, so how did you get into that space uh, from the beginning? Yeah. It's, and, and specifically my work rests at the intersection of change and emotion um, where I, where I feel, you know, my, my company, we firmly believe that's where our growth potential is determined is at that intersection. Um, but yeah, so I'm a chemical engineer uh, by trade, as you, you both probably, probably knew. And I spent many, yeah. many years working in corporate, you know, as, as a chemical engineer, then leading organizations, predominantly in innovation and R&D. Uh, but I went through a lot of change going through, you know, my corporate experience. And a lot of it was really big multi-billion dollar acquisitions. Uh, and so I've been a part of those types of changes that you didn't ask for, that kind of just show up and no. knock you on the ground. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what is this? What does this mean for me? So many unknowns, the darkness, more questions and answers and the emotion that's inspired when you're going through that, the fear the frustration, the anxiety, you know, uh, the second billion dollar acquisition I, I was a part of, I had no idea if I was going to wake up and still have a job. Um, and so that uncertainty that I, that so many of us have gotten even closer to uh, over these past several years, but it was going through these big changes that I recognized the power of embracing that emotional energy. And I actually started to practice this mindset called change enthusiasm that I now teach around the world. I started to practice that before I had language for it learning how to transform that emotional energy, how to not suppress it, not ignore it, but acknowledge it, and then use it to fuel myself forward, to find my growth, to find the opportunity that those really big disruptions were offering to me. Um, and it was through the practice of that that I realized, you know what, this is something that I can teach. This is something that I can gift to another to allow them to see their opportunity and change as well. Um, and so it, 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 uh, you know, culminated into uh, speaking business, uh, sharing the message of change enthusiasm. Once I really got it nailed in, you know, this three-step mental framework, uh, and now it's grown into a global consultancy. And I'm so grateful. The mindset is now practiced by thousands all over the world, and it's really grown into this global movement. Um, and I'm so happy to be a part of the conversation about the importance of allowing emotion in the door of business. That it is a place where emotion uh, needs to be. And whether we think that we're allowing it or not, it's going to show up anyway. You know, I I was, uh, well, I, I was involved in a, with a company s several years ago and they were going through a big change. And one of the things they did, and I thought it was such a mistake, is they is they prefaced all of these change meetings 
with meetings talking about change. Yeah. And everybody got so worked up. They're like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Oh, what you know, we, the, you know, what's what, happening? Right. It, it's it's like the more somebody tells you, oh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about this thing that we're going to tell you. You're, you're still going to have a job. Yeah. You're, still gonna, yeah. you're like, what in the world is happening? It's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're right. There were these emotions that were bubbling up that they they just uh, I think they fought against themselves on doing it. Yeah. But why do you why do you think that change is is so difficult for people to embrace? Yeah, I really think it's just we get into our own zone, right? We get into this place that we know, this place that we're doing really well, right? We become known experts. We get comfortable in our jobs. We know exactly what we're doing. We're doing well. We know our colleagues. And then all of a sudden change comes um, and it's like it turns the world upside down. It's like, now what do I have to do? Now what platform do I have to use? What software do I have to integrate? Who is my new manager? Uh, and so it introduces all these questions and these unknowns. But I mean, the reality of the situation is change is evergreen, as I mentioned to start the conversation. And y'all know it's inevitable. We all know the the the, the philosophy from from a Greek philosopher centuries ago. Uh, the only thing that we can count on is change. And I think that we're really getting to embrace that because of what we've been taught over these past few years in the global pandemic. Uh, so now it's a matter of that change preparedness. It's change readiness. Uh, and it's having that that mindset that when change does hit and the fear is inspired because it's going to be inspired. What do you do with that? What do you do in that moment? Uh, can you allow that fear to signal you and to, ooh, there's an opportunity for me here. If, if I'm feeling this fear, if I'm feeling these emotions, I'm being invited into yet another opportunity uh, for me to grow, for me to learn about myself, to learn about my business. Some way I can become better tomorrow than I am today because of this opportunity I'm being invited into. And it's my choice. How am I going to show up? How am I going to navigate this? How am I going to experience this in a way such that I grow? Uh, and how can I become better because of it? So the negative emotions that you're feeling are indicators for you that there is a great opportunity that you're on the right track. You got it. And I and I like to frame them, you know, I don't like using the language negative. Uh, and I, of course I get the sentiment because they're very difficult to deal with. And I have to practice this mindset more than probably anyone else in the entire world because I like to run away from those difficult emotions. But I, for me, I see them as a gift. They're a natural inheritance of our species. Yes, they're challenging. Yes, they're difficult to deal with, but they're there for a reason. And I think they present us into opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't like the word negative, how how do you differentiate between um, enthusiasm or excitement versus anger and fear? You know, what I what I what I would say is the uh, positive versus negative. That may not be the most precise way to categorize them. Yeah. Well, I just say they're difficult emotions. Um, they're the ones okay. that are really challenging to embody, the ones that are really challenging to acknowledge, the ones that are really challenging to process. Okay. So I, I think one of the things, the challenges with change is that we are in a place of these difficult emotions, you said, and, and a lot of it is fighting against the change. In other words, I, I'd rather dance with the devil I know than the one I don't know. And, and how do you move somebody from these difficult emotions to a point where they're embracing the change. Yeah. And it's funny. I've I've been thinking about this one a lot lately because I've I've been on a couple other podcasts and we've we've dug into this question of why are we afraid of change? What what do we do about that fear? Why do we try to run away from it? And I think it is a fear of the unknown. 
Uh, but I think what perpetuates the fear is what we create in our minds and choose to place our belief and our trust in. Uh, the fear is inspired by something unseen, something that we don't know, and it's rooted in prior experience, right? So a change hits and maybe we revisit a change that we experienced before in our work and all the tough, difficult things that happened because of it. Maybe we have experienced losing our job before. Maybe we have experienced getting a new manager that was horrible, that we hated, and this is gonna be the same thing. So then I'm gonna paint a picture of what this is about to be based on those prior experiences, and that's gonna perpetuate my fear. But what if, what if instead of allowing that fear to get perpetuated, we placed our trust and our belief and what might be possible in the good, in the journey, in the growth, in the learning, and think back to past change experiences and the good that came from them, the good connections, the, the, the strengthening of our resiliency, the depth of compassion that we're able to learn, the depth of our own strength. Why not place our focus, our trust and belief in that being possible and begin to transform that fear into hope and into anticipation and like, ooh, you know what? I've been through change before and I really, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about the businesses I that I was in. I, you know what? I'm going to choose to see this as an opportunity because something good is probably hurling its way to me right now. It's going to be challenging because it was challenging back then. But you know what? There was a gift in it for me and I'm, I'm going to set out and I'm going to choose to find this gift because I'm going to trust that it's coming its way to me now. You're speaking my language, Cassandra. Whether you're transforming a change opportunity into hope or transforming your fear of change into optimism about new horizons or you're transforming wealth to significance, there's there's a great deal of power that your mind can do to reframe what is in front of us. And um, once we understand how to reframe, we understand the benefits of the reframing, it's still difficult work, right? But it is simple. It's so simple to say, hey, wait, all the power is within me to transform this moment. Was there a moment for you made you realize, hey, I'm kind of on to something here that other people can benefit from? Um, it was probably when, and I'll give my my sister a bit of credit here. Um, I was going through, I think I was going through my second multi-billion dollar acquisition. Maybe that's when I, when I was in the throes in. But my sister, who's also uh, an executive, she's, she's an engineer as well, uh, she was working through her own change challenges. And she came to me for some perspective because she was like, I've seen you go through these big changes. I've seen the way that you can embrace them. I've seen the way that you found joy and enthusiasm. And even though you, I know that you've had difficulty, you still have found a way to progress your career. How do you do that? How are you able to do that? And how are you able to engage and invigorate your organization? And I really had to think about it and put pen to paper. You know what? It was the first time that I actually started to structure the framework that I was already living within. And I started to give language to what when an emotion pops up, what does that mean? Well, it signals me. I choose to let it be a signal. But then what does it signal me into? Well, I choose to see opportunity. And then that there's the second step of change enthusiasm, the opportunity. And then I explore what might be here for me. And then I choose. That's the third step. I make a choice on how I step through the day, on how I choose to maximize that opportunity. And so she was the one, because she was, you know, striving to understand how best to go through the big change she was going through, that invited me to put language to this, to, to actually put it in a way that I could coach her, um, that I could bring it to life in a way that she could put it in, in practice. And when I did that and it had an impact to her, I was like, wow, you know, I bet other people could find value in this too. 
Um, and then the way, you know, my curiosity about be, you know, working outside of corporate and what that could look like, it all just kind of came together and, and, and brought me along the path that I'm on now. So uh, that makes sense when you look at if you're being, uh, I want to say it's all negative, but being drug along through change. In other words, you're an employee and change has been thrust upon you. What if you're in a leadership position? How do you recognize when change is necessary before it gets to that crisis point? What? Say more. What do you mean the crisis point? Well, I mean, there there are many times when it becomes obvious to everyone that change is mandatory. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there, there's March 18, 2020. Right, right. Something oh, shut down. Yeah. Boom. Right. Yeah. You, you, you got to change. You can't be passive on that. Right. right. Or your business is is going to be bought out or uh, you're losing your lease or regulations have changed. Or something has forced change upon you. But it would seem like the better approach is to recognize when you're heading into that crisis point and saying at a point of optimal energy and and visualization, I want to make my change now when I have the best chance to advance forward without getting into that crisis point or point of challenging emotions where I can't make the best decisions possible. Yeah. So it's like you're anticipating the need, um, making the change early on before the business is in crisis. Uh, That's wonderful. (laughs) And if you can afford to do it, to be proactive in your organization, has the capacity, has the well-being, has the maturity to step through that change when you think it's needed, then uh, by all means do that. Uh, but so often we don't have that privilege, <laughs> like yeah. March of 2020. All right, we couldn't yeah. anticipate that. Sometimes crisis just hits, uh, and you and you have to deal with it. But you know that idea of being proactive, I think, is the same thing. The idea of change preparedness, and what are you doing to not only make the changes necessary in the business to keep things sustained, you know, for sustained growth but also preparing the individuals in your organization to face those changes when they do come. Uh, what are you doing to help strengthen their resilience muscle is short of having to go through a crisis or, or some big devastating loss? Um, how are you inviting them into uh, uh, zones of discomfort, whether that be a really rigorous or robust learning and development modules, where you're inviting them to take trainings that has nothing to do with their job? where they are in a position of discomfort, where they, where they might be the dumbest person in the room. Uh, but they're there because they're for the discomfort and they're there for the growth. And in turn, they're strengthening their resilience. Um, so it's that kind of thing as I think about preparedness, as I think about proactivity, that is getting the, the organization ready for when change needs to happen because the resiliency is growing and you're arming that, that workforce with the mindset, with the tools that they can use once you're actually in the throes of change. I love that you call um, resiliency a muscle. I was on a long road trip to Colorado with a few friends of mine four or five years ago to go skiing and making time on the road trip. I said, hey, man, um, if you had to give a PowerPoint presentation to, you know, 10,000 people, what would be the topic you'd talk about? And he goes, uh, hmm, thought about it for a minute and said, humility is a skill. That's my PowerPoint presentation. And I said, whoa, that's so simple, but that's so profound. I mean, of course it's a skill. And of course, if you practice it, you'll get better at it. And then I started to think, oh, almost every personality trait is a skill. Every personality trait that is important is a skill. And resiliency, oh, of, of course it's a skill. Of course you can get better at it. And so it sounds like what 
you what you do to create that resiliency um, is or that openness to change as well as to create micro change. Yeah, is to say, okay, we're going to practice change. It, it may not be a necessary change, may not be a forced change, may not be a big, 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 big change, but. I'm going to, you know, we're going to lift the 10 pound dumbbells of change here for a little bit, just get a little bit of workout and then go back to normal. Yeah. Is that kind of the right track of how you're thinking about it? For sure. Yeah. This is, um, this analogy of resilience being a muscle is one that I, I firmly believe and I talk about a lot. And in fact, I was sharing this, this concept, uh, being interviewed by an Emmy award winning physician. And I started talking about resilience as a muscle. And she was like, you know what, Cassandra, in all my years of medicine, and, and she'd been in surgery and all my years of surgery, I've never seen a resilience muscle. <laughs> like, you know what, Doc? Uh, you got me up. <laughs> there is no one, of course, no physical tissue, physical resilience, but this is our emotional and our mental resilience. And I love the analogy because as you think about our physical muscles and building the strength of those muscles, it takes some type of depress, some type of a strain on that muscle to get it broken down, right? That's your weight training. That's you and you lifting the big dumbbells and you're breaking the muscle down. And then it takes a, a, a moment to have a bit of a break so that that muscle can rebuild and repair. And that's where the strength really happens. And then you do it all over again. You break it down again. And I think the same thing happens when we're building our resiliency. There's a depress. There's some type of a strain, like being given a new manager, like a global pandemic like needing to make a huge strategic direction change in your business, there's some type of a strain. And then the resiliency is your ability to bounce back, your ability to come back, step into the moment, move forward and lean into the change. That's kind of, you know, the idea of the resiliency. And so short of going through a really big devastating loss or a really big crisis, how can you create this strain, what I call a low risk strain, so that you can flex that muscle? so that you can flex that muscle. And then the other part of this that I think too often we forget, just as we have to give our muscles time to, to rest and rebuild, I think we too should give ourselves time to rest and reflect after we've gone through change, after we've gone through a training, something that caused that depress. Because it's in the reflection when we can think about what we've just learned, what we've just gained, that's what's going to plant that seed such that when the depress happens again, it's going to be there to service. And that's going to make the resiliency quicker and faster. That spring back will be faster because the muscle will be stronger. But it takes creating the strain and then taking the time to rest and reflect to really strengthen the muscle. And you answered a question that was on my mind too, Cassandra, is it seems like I would say most people are at least slightly averse to change or, or hesitant to change. But then there are people that will change everything all the time and never stop. Too much. Too much. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're changing yeah. stuff just Calm to change it down, stuff. would you? Yeah. And, and and sometimes, you know, my employees might think that I'm guilty of that. Hey, we're going to switch it all up and I've got a wonderful idea. And, you know, it doesn't quite work out that way. But entrepreneurial people, uh, creative people, open people tend to maybe change a little bit more than necessary. And that analogy is so helpful to me, having heard you say it, like to reframe how I think about change in my life is, okay, constant working out of the muscle is is actually going to set me back. You know, when, I, when I've re-flushed out everything in my business, redesigned all the processes and the vision and the da-da-da-da-da, yeah. take a little break. That's okay. 
And because when you're constantly under strain and you're not giving that muscle any time to rest or reflect, that's when the fatigue happens. That's when the change fatigue hits because you're constantly under that strain and, and you're stri- trying to spring back, but then another strain comes and then another strain comes and another. And it's, it's more often you're under the strain than having the ability to rest and reflect and think about everything that you've gained. And so the resiliency never can really grow. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, conduct research at this intersection of change and emotion, thinking about people uh, who resist change. And actually here in America, 41% of working Americans actually self-assess as being resistant to change. But what was interesting about the, the study... How many are lying? How many of those other people are liars? <laughs> <laughs> 41% honest that people. That sounds low. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the other... <laughs> the other 59% are lying to themselves. <laughs> I will tell you, the 41% said, yes, I'm resistant to change. But 56% of people think that their coworkers are resistant to change. Yeah. <laughs> no, there you go. There, there it is. There it is. There's there it is. no anymore. And so it's like, it tells me, okay, resistance is real. It's a real thing. It's this energetic force. It's a pushback. It's something that moves against the direction that you want to go. But it's also relative, right? You might think that you're showing up, you're, you're growing, you're stepping into this thing, while the people around you are like, man, why can't they get on board? Why can't they go quicker? Yeah. Why are they so resistant? Um, and so it's a really interesting dynamic um, as you think about resistance. And, you know, surprise, surprise, um, I don't consider resistance a negative thing. I don't consider it a bad thing because inner resistance is energy. Inner resistance is energy. And if you can inspire a redirection of that ener- energy, if you can get curious about what's driving the energy in the direction that it's going and find a way to redirect it towards where you want to take the change, that energy can get used uh, the way that you want it. So if resistance is present, you got some energy there. There's some energy there. So how how have you found it the the best way to redirect the yeah. energy from uh, resistance to embracing? Yeah, curiosity. Um, okay. Curiosity and, and really understanding the voice of, of the employee. Really understanding what is driving that resistance. Is that resistance based in perception? Right. Talking about where you where we place our trust and our belief. Is it some perception of what's going to happen? Some perception that they have about what is is going to happen or has happened, but that's not founded in reality. So first off, maybe that's low hanging fruit. Can you kind of debunk? No, no, this is what you're perceiving, but that's not the reality. Let me get more clear. Let me bust open my communication on what's really about to happen. And that can begin to kind of quell the concern. Um, and the resistance, because of course, resistance, I said it's energy because it's rooted in the fear and the frustration and the anger. Uh, sometimes it's just apathy, just being checked out. Um, but it's a matter of getting curious and understanding what's driving that, what's inspiring that energy that's moving in the opposite direction of where we want to take things. Um, and so often, you know, I've found with clients and organizations, those who carry or are leading the resistance, uh, it's rooted in reality. And it's rooted in something that they strongly believe because they're on the front lines, because they're the ones that are going to have to be there when the rubber meets the road and bring this change to life. They know that something is broken. They know that this won't work and this is why. And when you can engage them and say, okay, well, why do you think that's not going to work? What needs to be true for this to actually be successful? Get them on board. Get them engaged in helping to optimize the execution plan. 
And then the leaders of the resistance become your cheerleaders. <laughs> they're the ones that become the ones that are leading and helping you move the change forward because now they're bought in because I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this now and I'm helping to guide to make sure this thing is successful and I'm invested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So a few years ago, I and um, my business partners and all of our employees, we took a personal, a Colby personality assessment, which one of the measures in that assessment is um, what they call quick start, which is your ability to deal with the unknown. And another way of saying it is like maybe you're receptive this to change. And they graded it on a, on a one to 10. A 10 is, hey, we you deal very well in the unknown. And one is you are good at protecting the status quo. And a lot like you, they don't put a negative or a positive on either one. They don't say you're bad at change if you're a one necessarily, but you are more skilled at protecting the status quo. The downside of being low on that quick start uh, category is that you may be resistant to change, right? Yeah. And I remember one of my partners, he scored a one, which means you might be resistant to change. Yep. And we all kind of looked over to him and said, yeah, that's obvious. Like, of course, <laughs> that makes all the sense, right? And, um, you know, his role is more operations, which, you know, that fits the role very well. That personality type fits the role. And his response was, no, I, ch I changed things. Like he immediately wanted to defend because he thought we were being negative. Oh, I can, I can change. We change all the time. Like, these are the things that we've changed. The I redesigned this and I did that and we did this whole thing. And, and <laughs> what hit me when he said that was that kind of like the, the only 41% of people think they're resistant to change is, well, of course you think you're good at change because the only change that mattered was the ideas that you didn't think were dumb. <laughs> Those were the ones that were worth changing. Once he decided, hey, okay, change is actually a good idea, then he was able to change. It's just that most of the time he thought it was a bad idea. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the people people who are, who are resistant to change will make typically fewer changes. They'll, they'll tend to make fewer mistakes but they will really protect that status quo. They'll really say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you need those types of people in your organization. If you have too many that are too comfortable with the the unknown, too comfortable with change, you'll you'll have chaos. And so I, I think it's good to get that balance and get that information so you make good changes that stick and you don't have to go on and make a change about the change you just made. Or undo yeah. the change you just made. It's so true. That one, that one rating, their perspective can be so valuable because they can point out all the opportunities that your change has and all the things you need to be thinking about if this change is really going to happen, uh, which is why yeah. I love to engage those individuals and tell them, listen, we need you. We need you to, for this thing to be successful because um, they have they have that that perspective. They got all the signaling motions. So they see so, they see all the opportunity. <laughs> Cassandra, when when you have people who when you're working with people who are in that moment, uh they're and they're being resistant, it seems to me, and, and I don't I don't know, but it seems to me that it, the first step would actually be recognizing that you're being resistant. <laughs> because and and I, I'm picking on my 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 old business partner, but I would do the same thing, right? I would evaluate my ability to change based on the times where I thought change was a good idea, not all of the times that change. Not all the time it was presented to. Not all the time it was presented and not even necessarily all of the times that it was required, all the times that I thought it was good. Yeah. 
And, and so when I'm being resistant to change in general, in principle, how do I recognize that it's actually change and and get past this idea that I'm I'm pushing away an idea and not even letting myself evaluate it? Yeah. So this comes back to self. Um, and it's a lot about when you're thinking about putting change enthusiasm into practice, it's this first step, the signal. Um, because again, the resistance is often rooted in those difficult emotions. And the more that you can become more emotionally self-aware to understand, oh, I'm getting some fear in this moment. Ooh, I'm getting a bit of frustration. Why is this here? And exploring what's inspiring that emotion. What are the thoughts associated with your fear? What are the thoughts associated with the frustration? That's when you can start teasing out. Why do I have this, this angst, this, this pushback that manifests as resistance, but why is this here? Well, what are the thoughts surrounding that? And I think you'll be able to, you know, kind of help pinpoint what might be driving that in you. If it's just change in general, or if it's really this change and it's because of this part of the change. Um, and then I think in that awareness, you can then explore the opportunity uh, to communicate your concerns, to communicate, you know, I'm having this fear, this anxiety about the change. And here are the reasons why, you know, I've done some reflection and here are the reasons why. Um, but I think in order to acknowledge and know that resistance is present, you need to be able to have some type of rooting in your emotional energy and being able to acknowledge and recognize when that fear, that frustration, the anger, um, a myriad of other difficult emotions might, might be present within you. I think that's so challenging for a lot of people. Uh, I'm in a, in a group where we'll talk about those things and, you know, I'll notice that it's like you said, a, a muscle of, you know, resilience and getting that self-awareness is difficult because a lot of people who aren't self-aware don't realize they're not self-aware, uh, of course. And so the, it, it takes some accountability partner or relationship where you have that vulnerability to say, how are you feeling right now? And I, I have a friend of mine and I asked him about that and he's, I said, hey, you know, so how are you feeling about that? And he goes, oh, I'm just, I'm just busy. Like, well, busy's not a feeling, you know? And so <laughs> just, you have to explore that so that you can lead, you can recognize those emotions that other people and lead them effectively. I'm telling you, um, one of the, one of the best, uh, and I see it as an exercise of empathy. One of the best exercises of empathy I've ever heard of was through a client. Um, she was an executive. And during her weekly meetings, her team meetings, um, on her whiteboard, she had a lot of magnets, 50 or 60 different emotions, just all over the whiteboard. Uh, and the start or the end of every team meeting, everyone would go around the room and say at least two or three emotions that they were experiencing, whether mm -hmm. that they were experiencing in that moment that they experienced over the weekend or throughout the past week. And if they were open to it to share what's inspiring the, the emotion or why they think that they're feeling that way, and that is such a powerful exercise. Not only does it help uh, or help people practice emotional self-awareness, you got to think about it. And then she has all the language, you know, to use on the board. It also allows those in the room who aren't speaking to practice a bit of empathy, to understand another person's emotions and being able to put language to communicate their understanding. And it also, for her as a leader, invited vulnerability on a weekly basis. Because she had the opportunity to share if she was feeling down, if she was feeling sadness or anger or, or overwhelm, she could actually share that and created that safe space to talk about feelings and to use emotion and feelings language. Um, right. And it can be so powerful. I wish every leader had an exercise like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's mm -hmm. the more precise you can get with that, 
the the better you're able to deal with it. You know, if it's one thing to say, just, you know, I feel angry, but if I can say, well, oh, I, it's actually I feel threatened or I feel jealous or I feel vulnerable or, you know, whatever it is, I can deal with those differently. And I, I think that will help, you know, certainly navigate through change. Have you, when you see, you've seen a lot of change in, in companies. Have you seen companies do it badly because they're not adopting some of these principles? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and it's a journey, right? Because a lot of this, I think, is, is just recently beginning to take hold. Uh, and honestly, I think one of the benefits, if you can find them, the benefits of the pandemic and everything that we've gone through, this trauma, this traumatic event that we've all experienced, um, I think it has opened the eyes for leaders and executives alike that we employ emotional beings, that we employ human emotional beings. It's not just headcount. It's not just human capital. Uh, they're emotional beings. And I think there is a recognition in the power of that emotional energy and having language for it and talking about it. Um, and so I think eyes are beginning, eyes and minds are beginning to open to it, uh, but it's a journey. There are certainly some leaders and in turn some businesses that are much further ahead than others. Um, and there, there are some that are still kind of, kind of stuck, stuck in the ways. Um, but my hope is that slowly but surely everyone will awaken to the fact that when you can address, acknowledge emotional energy in the workplace, and then arm your workforce with a means, with a mental framework and a skill set to do something with that emotional energy, to move themselves forward and the business forward, and not only a framework that's going to help them in their work, but also a framework that's going to help them in every aspect of their life, addressing the entire human the whole human being, right? This is a this is a life practice that you can implement. Um, the probability of change success shoots through the roof. Um, and in turn, the sustainability of your business in the long run. Oh, I, I used to be a part of this group where we'd meet regularly and um, start off the meetings with an icebreaker question. And they were always creative icebreaker questions that were designed to get you to be vulnerable. And, and much like your friend, like, try to create a culture of vulnerability where we can all kind of share openly and honestly how we're feeling. So they were creative questions. Um, and you know, it might be something like, you know, what was, uh, who, who, who was your favorite parent? You're right. You, there's no way to answer that question without being, <laughs> without being, <laughs> I like that. without being, um, without being vulnerable in some way. Right. Yeah, And there was something about this environment that made me feel, and I could never figure it out, I did not feel safe being vulnerable. And I've always thought of myself as pretty comfortable being vulnerable. You know, I'll talk about things on, on here that they, it don't, doesn't bother me at all to be vulnerable in front of as many people as will listen. But in that group, I felt unsafe. I felt like they weren't protecting what I was giving them, and they were they were changing the way that they were looking at me and all of the fears that you would have in sharing how you're feeling, it was kind of, it was going south. So my question is for leaders who are, are hearing what you're saying, okay, hey, maybe I need to create a culture where people can be, be open and vulnerable. How can they do that in a way that protects the culture in a positive, positive and safe way? Yeah, I really appreciate this question, especially as a person that sits at so many intersections. Right. As as a female, black, queer, 
engineer, founder, CEO, so many different intersections and marginalized populations. And so often people who look like me, uh, people who also sit in these intersections do not feel safe, um, do not feel safe, especially in their workplace, sharing themselves and being vulnerable. And so it's a huge role that not only leaders, but everyone in the organization plays part in, especially those who inherently carry privilege, um, especially in our society with so many you know, systems that live uh, within all of us. And so I think it's up to us to hold ourselves accountable to creating the type of environment where everyone does feel safe to share that vulnerability, to share their fullest self-expression. Um, and I think for me, that looks like really actively practicing empowerment, right? And empowerment requires, uh, you know, power to be relinquished to another such that they feel and embody that power. And so seeing someone who doesn't, you know, speak that often during meetings, making sure there's space for them, their voice to be shared, uh, striving to understand this individual on a human level. Um, if they're ones who are more, you know, they don't, they're more introverted, they don't like speaking out loud, well, what's another avenue for them to get their voices heard? And how can I make sure that their voice is then echoed, right? And then I think another way is to lead by example. And I mean from wherever you sit. You don't have to have direct reports. You don't have to be high up in the hierarchy. Uh, you can lead from where you sit by role modeling empathy, by role modeling you yourself sharing vulnerability. Because in vulnerability, there's a, there's a value exchanged, right? When I'm sharing something in a vulnerable place, that is something of value to me. And the exchange is the trust that what you're sharing is safe. I'm going to, in turn, give you a bit of that trust that well, I'm going to hold what you're saying uh, in, a safe, in a safe place. And it's that value exchange. And so it's the trust that needs to be built, right? And you do that through role modeling and through practicing that empathy, holding that safe space, and truly holding yourselves accountable for creating that safe environment where everyone feels safe being their fullest and truest self. Yeah, I, man, it, it can go really wrong from 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 a place of good intentions. Yeah. Uh, you know, one time I, I, I remember doing a, I wanted to do a values exercise with all of my employees. And the reason I wanted to do that is I wanted them to understand the importance of values as a guiding light in our lives. And that way they could understand how we use it for our clients. And they that way they could understand the reason we use our company values as a guiding star as well. And so I, I did the exercise with um, one one woman and her husband had died one week prior. We sit down. It was, this was yeah. such a bad choice like, or maybe not one week prior. She had just got back from leave one week. Yeah. Cause she took like two months off. So maybe it was not that recent, but she like just got back to the office and she picks like stability and security. Of course. And I, I had no idea. I had no skills in how to handle this. I just thought, oh, I need to plow forward because this will be good. Like getting us to be vulnerable will be good. Getting us to talk about values will be good. And I I probably didn't show very much empathy by kind of insisting that we do the exercise because she said, stability is so important. And I said, well, tell me more about that, <laughs> you know? And of, and of course she broke down crying. And of course she's like, I can't. I can't talk about this. And, and at least I had the mercy to say, yeah, you're right. We let's just maybe now it's not a good time. Forget about this. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But those moments can really like, I think can dissuade a leader, you know, if they go into it and they try and they're, they're coming from a good place and they, they miss the mark a little bit. So, oh, oh, you know, I'm not going down this road again. So here's the reality. And thank you so much for sharing that example, because I think it, it can resonate with a lot of people who are listening, especially those who don't feel like they're great at sharing empathy and being vulnerable. And maybe they've tried to, and now they're shut down to it because of, because of the failure or the mistake experience. The journey of empathy and vulnerability is, is a long one and it's an infinite one. Um, you're not always going to get it right. Um, and I believe that in between your intention, your really, really great intention and the impact that is felt by that individual you're in conversation with, by that team that you lead, by that organization that you have responsibility for, what lies in between that, what gets you from intent to impact is the choice is the choice. Sometimes our choices are very well informed and we're able to clearly align the choice and the intent to get the desired impact. But sometimes it's just not the right choice. And it's it's not because of you being a bad person. It's not, uh, again, because of malicious intent. Because you started out with a really good intention. You just didn't make the best choice to align that intention to, to receive the desired impact. So I say that it's a journey and it's infinite because you have to keep making the choices and learning from the falls, learning from the mistakes. And the more informed those choices you know, become, I think the greater you'll be at aligning the choices you make with that really good intention to achieve the desired impact. Uh, but it takes leaning into the journey. It takes leaning into the uncomfortable conversations, inviting those difficult conversations such that your future choices can be more well-informed. I like that you place such an emphasis on choosing as a step of the process, because I think to most people who, who don't think about the decisions that they make as deliberately as we try to here, that seems like a step that doesn't need to be spoken. Well, of course, I'm going to pick, right? Of course, I've got to decide. <laughs> but when Sean and I were creating Decidedly, we started to think, well, what what are the steps in making a decision? What does it even mean to make a decision? And what we dis what we realized what this, was that there are three possible outcomes, right? You could, in any given moment, you could decide to act. You could decide not to act. The only unacceptable option is not deciding <laughs> and and when you don't decide then the the window of opportunity slowly closes on you and you are forced into action yes it isn't what you chose right so if you're saying hey we're going to um we think we see ai as, as this this new revolution happening in technology uh, should we incorporate, you know, this new, should we incorporate chat GPT into our, into our workflow? Well, you can either do it or you cannot do it. You can either decide to do it or you can decide to not do it. But what you can't do is continue to postpone the decision and wait for this never, this, this moment that will never come where you have enough information or enough data sets or, or, or enough opinions or enough time to deliberate when, if you do that, it'll pass you by and you'll either be forced to catch up and you'll be behind the curve you'll of every other competitor. Situation. Yeah, you will be, you'll be out of business because turns out it actually was the best thing you could have ever done and you, you missed it. So 
So making choosing a, a step of your process, I think is, I mean, resonates with us for sure, because that's that's such an such a key component that gets overlooked a lot. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so glad that we've collided <laughs> because oh, I celebrate that uh, this thing of deciding, not deciding, and and then that that other thing of of doing neither and just going with wherever the waves and the ocean might take you, it is then in control as opposed to you. Because the element that's at play when you can step into decision versus non-decision, there's a consciousness that's required, right? It's a consciousness of being in that moment and weighing the opportunity, right? I'm, I want to become conscious. I want to become informed on should I move forward the decision or not do anything. There's a consciousness that's at play. Um, and of course, the same is true in the practice of change enthusiasm. And one of the missions that we're looking to bring to life in Change Enthusiasm Global is to enable more self-aware and conscious leadership through change, right? That consciousness, that consciousness is there, having eyes wide open, mind, heart, spirit, open, enrolled, uh, and ready to, uh, to step into those choices, even when they're difficult, they're uncomfortable, and you have already fallen down 17 times. Uh, but you see, yeah. you, you know, you keep making those choices. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what you said, Sanger, because I, I think the, the decision not to decide is a, it's a low resolution thinking, right? Because you, you don't have to defend not deciding, yeah. right? You don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to defend it on anything. You just go, oh, we're not going to do anything. <laughs> so we're not going to decide. Yeah. Well, so that means you're, you're deciding not to act. No, no, no. Means- we're just going to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll do it later. We'll do it later. later. Yeah. So how do you turn, I love your approach to looking at changing and, you know, infusing enthusiasm into the difficult emotions that that happen with change, right? I think that's really great. How do you turn that into a repeatable process? Because change isn't just a one-time event. It changes ongoing, right? Totally. So how, how do you come back to the well and use the process again. Totally. Thank you for this. Um, and it really plays into strengthening the resiliency. So change enthusiasm. Um, and so often, you can probably guess, my upbeat, I'm very optimistic, half glass, you're a glass half full kind of a person. And when I tell people that I'm bringing change enthusiasm into the world, they're like, oh, especially if they're going to change, get out of here. I don't want to hear about all your upbeat. <laughs> the last thing I want to hear, right? I am struggling. Get out, get out my I'm face. <laughs> with the smile come on man Uh, but here's the thing so the greek um derivation of enthusiasm is entheos entheos Uh, and it means inspired it's about divine inspiration right and so when you experience enthusiasm there is an internal divinity that is inspiring you to to act to be and there's this brightness this light you know when you feel enthusiastic about something it's like you're lit up right you're lit up and so in change enthusiasm it is allowing the within but as we think about emotion that emotional energy that emotional divinity to inspire you into the opportunity that change presents and it doesn't mean that the difficult emotions are going to go away in fact i can assure you they will not Uh, Whenever a change hits, there's always going to be a good chance you're going to feel some frustration. You're going to feel some overwhelm. You're going to feel some anxiety, some grief, right? And change, we so often experience the loss before we experience the gain. 
And so that is what makes this a growth cycle and a practice. Because no matter how excited or how much anticipation you might have about a change or going through a change journey, something else will hit, some other dynamic, some little pivot, some little interaction that will inspire that difficult emotion again. And it'll get you right back into that first step. I got a signal. It means I'm in another opportunity. It means I have uh, a point right here to choose. How will I navigate? How will I show up? Because I can learn again. And then in the face of the next signal emotion, you're right back to that same thing. And so you're making these revolutions, steps one, two, and three, just over and over again in the face of every difficulty, seeing, you know, trusting there's opportunity in this moment. And as you do that, when you begin training your brain to know that when a difficult emotion is, is there, you're being signaled into yet a moment of opportunity, that's when that entheos, that inspiration is made possible because you'll know, okay, something good is coming my way again. I am struggling in this moment. I'm going to give myself some grace. Maybe I'm going to take a beat. I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to eat me some donuts. I'm going to binge Netflix. But I'm going to trust that when I get up the next day, I'm going to explore this opportunity. And I'm going to choose how I'm going to become better and how I will learn and how I will grow in this moment. Um, the entheos happens through practice. It happens through practice. Uh, and it is something that I've been practicing for two decades. And it's something that I continue to practice each and every day. And the more practice... The more practice you can put in this framework, every signal emotion, opportunity, navigating that opportunity, choosing how you move forward, another signal. Every every time you're strengthening the resilience, you're strengthening yeah. your resiliency. Um, and you'll find more often that you feel that enthusiasm when change comes because you know the growth is in store. You know the learning is there. You realize it's going to be difficult and it's okay because in the end, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. Well, that that enthusiasm comes through in everything you've said. Uh, with us today. So I, I appreciate it. I have one final question. If you sure. if you have a decision-making tip for business leaders and and uh, and owners, what would that final decision-making tip be? A decision-making tip? Um, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll share one that it's, that I have to practice all the time. Um, right. And I'll put it in the frame of of change enthusiasm because, you know, that's what I live. Sure, why not? Uh, but it is allowing time to explore whatever the opportunity is that's before you and avoiding reaction and rather allowing response. Um, and so having the time to think through how do I want to navigate this opportunity and what is the right decision? What is the right choice for me, for my colleagues, for the business, um, as you're making that decision, um, and of course, you you know you can put some time in behind it. You want to you don't want to get you know stuck in a per, a paralysis analysis that saying, um, but take the time to explore the opportunity that this might have um, in front of you, as opposed to making knee jerk decisions, uh, knee jerk reactions. Oh, thank you, thank you for being here, Cassandra. We have your book on the table here, Change Enthusiasm. Um, tell people where they can connect with you, the work you're doing, and grab a copy of your book. Sure. If you're interested in learning more about the book, the mindset, the the tools, my own personal journey, go to changeenthusiasmbook.com. Um, all kinds of avenues for you to purchase it. Uh, to learn more about me, you can go to my website, CassandraWorthy.com. To learn more about Change Enthusiasm Global and the unique value that we bring to our clients around the world, changeenthusiasmglobal.com. And then you can find me on all socials, Cassandra Worthy. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great talking. My pleasure. Well, for all the work that you do, truly, it's been a pleasure. 
The takeaway that I had is looking at when you're faced with change, you're going to go through those emotions that are that can be viewed as negative and actively recognizing those and making a decision to convert those to a a positive state and really have meaningful impact. Uh, there's a stupid this is a stupid analogy, but I just thought a big hike. Uh, oh my god, that's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even heard it yet. Oh, it I'm be. sorry. All right. on, so I was, I was on a big hike through through this rainforest, and so the the uh, I was I was there with mom, and she, and she was slipping because it was muddy. Yeah. Right? And so I started counting how many times she was slipping, and it kind of poking fun, but it was something to do, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, you slipped, and you know her arms would flail out. She'd leave the big skid mark down the trail and catch. She wasn't hurting herself. She wasn't falling, yeah. but she was slipping. She wasn't going all the way to the ground, but she was. It was comical, and so we started catching them. And one of the women behind me had been talking with this other woman who had been sort of negative for the few days, and she had forced her to change all her negative thoughts to positive. Okay. All right. So she said, you have to now only express positivity. And so we started converting these slips to catches. So like, oh, you didn't slip. You caught yourself. You caught yourself. Right. You didn't go all the way to the ground. And it really, it was interesting is how I began to think about those. It really did. I don't know if there was a physiological change, but there certainly was a mental change in how I was experiencing everything else. It was really interesting. It's like, oh, she caught herself again. It was, it was mm-hmm. like a positive thing every time it happened rather than a, uh, a negative thing or, you know, a poking fun thing. So it really does impact you. Interesting. Yeah. My takeaway is the the analogy that resistance is a muscle. And I like that Cassandra was able to stretch that analogy all the way out. You know, if resistance is a muscle, then we've got to practice it. If it's a muscle, then we need to rest and recover. Mm-hmm. If it's a muscle, then overloading it to its maximum, even for one rep, isn't necessarily progress. And reframing the personality traits that I want to possess in the idea that they are muscles, I think is a really key element to having a healthy relationship and understanding of those traits. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.